seems the message of Christmas is that apparently we have a God who, before there was time, decided not to be God without you. That's who God is. We have a God who apparently before there was time, a God who is holy, who is transcendent, who is completely other, right? Not a human, not part of creation. He is, in fact, the creator. And we have this God who, though holy and transcendent, and if he wanted to, was it be every right, he had every right to not have anything to do with sinful, fallen humanity. But we have a God who apparently does not want to stay at arm's length away from sinful humanity, but Christmas teaches us, but would plunge in, would enter into the mess of humanity all the way into a stable in a manger in Bethlehem because we have a God who before there was time decided he was not going to be God without us. He loves us. And this message, where do, we, where do, where do I get this idea? Matthew chapter 1, the very first page of the New Testament is this genealogy. I'm calling this series the family tree of Jesus. And each of the four Sundays of Advent, that's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we're taking one of the characters out of this family tree of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus shows us, yeah, there's some shady characters in this family tree. You might say there's some bad apples on this family tree. But we, at the end, we meet Jesus who's willing to plunge into the mess of human sin and sorrow. It's not like he says, well, I'll wait till you get out of the mess and clean yourself up, then I'll get involved. No, this genealogy teaches us that we have a God who's coming after us, rescue us before we clean ourselves up. And so each week we'll we'll lift up one of the characters from the family tree of Jesus and zoom in closely. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Judah. And all that he went through, his past, did not determine his future. God can change people. And today we're going to look at a character we meet in verse 5. Matthew 1, verse 5. Today we're going to look at Rahab. Rahab. We find her in Matthew 1, 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. So way back in the genealogy, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we meet this Salmon fellow who takes as a wife this Rahab. Just like with Judah, you might think Matthew would want to clean these folks up a little and sanitize them to, before he puts them in the genealogy of Jesus, but in fact, he does the opposite. He leans in, showing you that God saves sinners. So just like with Judah, we'll look at this. We'll, I'll, I'll give you, note takers, I'll give you an outline. You ready? We're going to look at Rahab. We're going to find her story in Joshua 2, and here's the outline. We're going to look at Rahab's reputation, Rahab's rescue and Rahab's redemption. Got it? Rahab's reputation, we'll look at her status, we'll look at Rahab's rescue, her salvation, and then her redemption, her significance throughout salvation history. We find her story in Joshua chapter 2. Let's begin with Rahab's reputation. You'll have another chance if you're a note taker to jot down those headings if you didn't get them. Rahab's reputation, her rescue, and her redemption. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. That's where we find the story of Rahab. A little bit of context. You know that Moses led the people out of Egypt, out of bondage to Pharaoh, got them all the way to the Jordan River. And though Moses was allowed to see the promised land, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Instead, that honor fell to his successor. After Moses died, the the, the next uh, successor, you remember, was this guy Joshua. And so General Joshua has marched all the way, and he's he's there at the edge of the Jordan, and he spies 
eyes and looks across the, 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 into the, across the Jordan into the promised land, and there he sees the first major obstacle, if they're going to take the promised land, is the walled city of Jericho. And that's where our story begins. Are you there? Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So right away we learn about Rahab's status. Here's a woman living an immoral lifestyle. Now we're not given any background here. Some commentators, they, it's almost like they get squeamish because they, they know that this person is in the family tree of Jesus. So it's like they try to whitewash this word. You know, um, they, they, almost like a, they, they say, well, maybe, maybe prostitute there or some translations harlot. You know, maybe it's a euphemism for innkeeper or, or lodging place. Uh, while I do think uh, it, it, she ran an inn, while I do think it was a lodging place, the New Testament uses this word, a harlot to describe her. And so on the one hand, there's no denying she's a person living this immoral life. But on the other hand, doesn't it feel awfully self-righteous and privileged if we were to say, well, you know, shame on her. Why would she choose this life? Oh, come on. Uh, who says that she felt like she had any choice? Uh, we don't know. The, the, the Bible doesn't give us any background on how she got here. We don't know what forces of evil may have acted on Rahab that got her to this place. The Bible doesn't say how she got here. It just says, here's who we meet. Here's her reputation. Here's her status. Here's who she is. All we know is she is a person in need of redemption. And that we just need to pause right there. And maybe that's a word for us this morning. When? Let me ask you, in your theology, when? When? At, at what point? Hmm? When did God set his sights of love upon Rahab? Was it before Rahab cleaned herself up? Was it before Rahab got all changed and righteous? I mean, you can tell by the outline there's going to be some redemption, right? Rahab's redemption. Was it, was it, I will wait until you get cleaned up and then I will set my love on her? No. Did God wait for the rehab of Rahab before he loved her? No. Right in the messy middle of her life. The Bible says, while we were still sinners. Isn't that something? God demonstrates his love for Rahab while she's in the middle of her sin. God sets his sights of love. And that, that may be a word for somebody in here right now. See, somebody may have gotten it all twisted. They think they need to clean their life up and get their life in order. And if I get a few good months of church attendance and if I can get things straight, then and only then maybe I can have the love of God. I want you to write this down and never forget it. The love of God is not the reward for change. It's, in fact, the resource you need to change. Do you understand that? The love of God is not this trinket that's dangled out in front of good little men and women. And say, if you will do all the right things, and if you will follow all the rules, and if you can get your behavior right, and if you could finally stop doing that one habit, and if you could finally come clean on this issue, and if and if you could get all this right, then, maybe, then the love of God could be set on your life. No, that's legalism. This is the gospel. It's the opposite of man-made religious legalism. It is, in fact, the good news of the gospel. God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were in the middle of our mess. So the love of God is not the reward you need for change. The love of God is not a reward for Rahab. It's in fact the resource for change. 
I heard Skip Eidzig give this illustration of a little girl who had all these dolls, tons and tons of dolls. I, have a, I know a little girl like that. And uh, loves all these dolls, and uh, uh, she makes her bed every morning. That's a, a miracle. And, and uh, lays out all these dolls to display them and gets them all arranged just perfectly. And then she goes and gets her favorite, the one she loves the most. And when she goes and gets it, you'd be shocked. This one wouldn't, get, this wouldn't fetch a dollar at a yard sale. I mean, got, you know, just all messy and got the hair all stringy and broken and like the head is hanging on by one piece of plastic on the neck, you know what I'm talking about? Missing an eye, right? There's one little, uh, one little shoe hanging on the doll foot. This thing is a mess. It's a disaster. And she sets that one in the middle. That's the one she loves the most. As a guest is walking through the home, getting the tour, and she's proudly showing off all the dolls, the guest asks what we would all ask. Uh, Sweetheart, let me ask you, why out of all these dolls, why do you love that one the most? And she said, oh, because if I didn't, no one else would. (laughs) There's some good theology in that, isn't there? Why did God set his love on Rahab? Why did God set his love on you? Has it occurred to you he didn't wait until you cleaned your life up, but he set his love on you? In fact, the, Spurgeon says the uncaused love of God is the cause of all the blessings in your life. He's right. It's the uncaused love of God. He loves you because he loves you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Maybe you have a, a family member or someone who's got this exactly backwards, and they think that only when they get their life cleaned up, then they're worthy, somehow maybe can go to God, as if they could ever do that. But the good news of the gospel is while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, she runs a, that's who she is. She runs a very public profession, runs a lodging place where travelers are always coming in and out. I suppose then it makes sense that the spies would go there, as verse 1 tells us. Surely this was the center of town gossip, a steady stream of men coming in and out. Rahab would, would I guess, have a good read on what the city was thinking about these Israelites. Can you imagine this mass of Israelites that have amassed uh, uh, over there on the other side of the Jordan? Everybody's talking about them. People have heard, we'll find out, the rumors swirling about them. So what happens next? Well, as far as spies go, based on the next verse, let me just say, uh, about these spies, I I just want to point out, I've watched a lot of spy movies. As far as spies go, uh, these guys are absolutely lousy at spying. Uh, It takes them all of one verse to be completely discovered. Okay, so... uh, Uh, world's worst spies show up in verse 2 and it was told to the king of Jericho behold men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land and and that's it yep cover blown Uh, that is exactly right quite naturally word gets back to the king of Jericho and it's it's completely accurate what happens next then is not surprising once it reaches the king the king does what He sends out his secret service to capture these spies. Verse 3, then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. We know they're in here somewhere. Hmm? Bring them out. So what's going to happen? What happens next? I'm calling Rahab's rescue. Got it? So we're done with the first part, Rahab's reputation. Now let's move to Rahab's rescue. And there's two parts here. There's Rahab's rescue and then the rescue of Rahab. So instead of Selling out the spies. Look what she does. She, she covers for him. Look at this. Rahab's rescue. She covers for him. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. In her occupation, no doubt she was used to discretion and cover-up. And so very shrewdly she tells a lie. And like all good lies, they start with a basis in the truth. She said, oh, true, uh, the men came to me 
uh, but I, I did not know where they were from. That may be technically true, but this next part is not. This is a bold-faced lie. Verse 5. Yeah, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. What do we know about Jericho? It, what, what did it have all the way around it? Wall, right? And so every night there's curfew. Every night they, 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 they shut the city gate. And just before our nightly curfew, just before they shut the gate, yeah, I saw they were here, but they, they ran out. Uh, uh, but if you hurry, you might catch them, right? I, I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. They're like, great, thanks. And they take off. Verse 6, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Right, so so uh, the the flax uh, is what uh, they they harvested linseed oil. They get the oil. It's also what you make linen from, and so you dry it out in these big four foot stalks. She's got those laid out in order on the roof to dry out, and she hides hides the Israelite spies there behind the the stalks of flax. Sends them off, and they're gone. And so the men, the, 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 back to the king's agents, verse 7, the secret service pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. So she sent them off on a wild goose chase, and they take off to the Jordan River to the fords. Now that's not Ekinrod. That's the shallow places, right? A ford is the crossing place. That's the shallow places where it would be most logical to, for the spies to escape to safety on the other side of the Jordan. So naturally they head to the fords thinking they can cut them off at the pass. It's like a spy movie hidden among the flax on the roof. Now, Rahab has outwitted the king's agents. And this is just a side note. I, I always scratch my head. Sometimes I read a commentary, and it's like there, there's commentators that, uh, you know, I, I, I just really uptight about the fact that Rahab told a lie. And I'm always shocked by that. I'm like, really? They're like, now, now, technically, this would be breaking the command of God, you know, to tell a lie. I'm like, what? Like, you're going to focus on the lie of Rahab more than the fact that she trusted in the truth of God? Like, yes, technically, just like the, uh, earlier in Exodus, the Egyptian, uh, remember the, 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 the order to kill all the little boys being born, and so the midwives would lie to spare the life of these newborn babies? Um, I think the point is, no, of, of course, God's people should not tell lies. Uh, n- that goes without saying. Um, <laughs> that's like the ninth commandment. But, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I would say it this way. In fact, Christians are supposed to be the most law-abiding. I guess the Christians are to be the most law-abiding citizens in a society. However, it's simple. When the laws of man contradict the law of God, then a believer has no choice but to follow the law of God. And that's what Rahab does here. Anyway, back to the suspense. So at this point in the story, the reader doesn't, still doesn't know exactly why she's hidden them from the secret service. Why did she lie to protect them? So to heighten the suspense, look how this part closes out. Look at the end of verse 7. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Now what? Now the spies are completely at Rahab's mercy, right? Because now if they can't exit the city, it's only a matter of time before the guard who's been, they'll realize they've been sent out on a wild goose chase. They'll eventually realize they've been tricked, come back in, and they'll be caught for sure. So what is she going to do? And what was her motive in all this? What, what's she up to? Verse 8, she reveals her motive. And it's a motive of faith. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Verse 9, and said to the men, she reveals why she did all this. It's because it's something she knows. She doesn't say, I think. She doesn't say, you know, maybe. No, she has considered the facts. She has looked around. 
And she says, I know that the Lord, anytime you see it in the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in English, it's trying to communicate to you, this is the personal name of God, Yahweh, the name he gave to his people. You'll know me, I am who I am, Yahweh. That she, she calls him by the, the personal name of God. The Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. It turns out her motive in doing this is faith in the one true God. For we have, verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. That was 40 years ago. And they're still talking about it. Yeah, it's, it's, I, but when you came out of Egypt, and, and we're still talking about something else. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, you had no business, a ragtag group of what we thought were just Egyptian slaves. Suddenly you're, you're like, you're mighty warriors. There's something clearly going on beyond what human beings can do. The work of God is going on in you. She sees, she looks around, she does the simple math. This is God. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. What she's saying with that, in the heavens and on the earth. What she's saying is, whatever little tribal territorial God we Jericho folks may worship, uh, your God is the true God. She's right. Now, let me just interject. There's some, there's some irony here. She says, do you remember your history? So General Joshua is who sent out these two spies. Do you remember uh, why that's important? This is not the first time spies have gone in to spy out the land, is it? No, 40 years ago, Moses sent 12 spies into the land to do some reconnaissance, right? Guys, go find out what we're up against. And when they come back, what's their report? Well, it's mixed, isn't it? Ten of the spies say, we are scared to death. We, that we will never be able to take this, certainly not this walled city. These inhabitants are so strong and so powerful. We'll never do it. And two of the spies, one of whom was Joshua, the one who sent these spies out, the other Caleb, his lifelong friend, they're the two that say, wait, what are you talking about? Do you have a big God or a small God? Last I checked, we have a big God. And so it's going to be no problem to take the land. God has given it to us. We just have to walk in this victory. They are outvoted. And their contention, I also think, by the way, that's why you notice when Joshua sends out the spies, he doesn't send 12. He's like, nah, I've done this before. No, I'm sending two. Too big a committee. Everybody gets pessimistic. Nope, we're, we're sending two. We're doing two. So he sends out the two. But what's interesting is what she reveals is how badly those in Christ, those who are believers in God, how badly they misread the situation. They were so scared of their enemy when, in fact, their enemy was scared of them. Do you hear me? Like, like, don't they say an army always looks twice as big when you're in retreat? When fear sets in, oh yeah, you can talk yourself into all sorts of things. But did, you, did it occur to you, and this is a word, especially to those of you who might be feeling like you're under some spiritual attack right now. You feel like you're attacked, and you're looking around, and you say, oh, I got all these forces opposed against me. Is that the end? Am I supposed to walk in fear? Has it occurred to you that because you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that the things you're afraid of are actually more afraid of you? They're shaking in their boots. Why? Because you're saying, God is with these people. Well, 
Verse 12, she says, now then, please, she is so certain it's going to happen. She demonstrates her faith. Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She's not just in it for herself. She's saying, save my family. Save my household. And the men agree. The men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab has chosen to realign her life with the God of Israel. Now think about that. On paper, it seems like she's making a, an unwise bet. On paper, she's, where is she? She's in Jericho. On paper, you look around and you go, would you rather trust in, in, in the God you cannot see or in these impregnable walls? Wouldn't you feel safer in a fortress? Rahab has made the decision that she is safer in the will of God than behind all the mighty walls of Jericho. Whatever you have materially, has it occurred to you, you are safer in the will of God than anywhere else in the planet. You see why I'm calling this Rahab's rescue. This is her salvation. Her salvation comes in stages, and it's a model for all who are saved. Rahab's rescue follows the same pattern as ours. Has that occurred to you? What happened in the life of Rahab is what happens every time a person is saved. Let me show you. First, she heard. Doesn't she? Think about all those verses, like verse 10 and verse 11. We heard how the Lord dried up. We heard all this stuff. As soon as we heard, our hearts melted. She didn't have a Bible. She didn't, there's not a lot of complexity to this. She didn't pass a test. She didn't know every single Bible answer, right? No, but she heard about all that God did, and she believed. Is that you today? That's how faith begins. How do I know? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you know if you were saved? That's because at some point you heard. You heard the good news of the gospel. You heard some content. In fact, you're hearing it right now, that God made you and God loves you, but sin has separated you from God. But Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on the cross, he died as a substitute for you and in your place to restore you to a right relationship with God. If I had to give the gospel in one verse, it would be from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Somewhere along the line, you heard that. You read that. That was told to you. Maybe you were a young child. Maybe you were at a revivalistic crusade. Maybe you were in college and, and a believer was in your dorm and they were sharing their faith with yours. And at some point, you heard the good news of the gospel. Rahab heard it. And so did everybody else. The difference is she believed. Right? You heard, and then you didn't just hear it, you believed. Can I, can I point that out? Go back through verses like 10, 11, and 12, and look. Look at the pronouns. Look how many times the whole city heard. I, I point this out for a reason. Everybody, all our hearts were melting. Everybody heard about what you did. That's all the whole town's talking about. Everybody heard about the works of God. Why was Rahab saved? Because she didn't just hear about it, she believed. Why do I point this out? There are some critics who would look at a book like Joshua and say, ah, God was being cruel. God was being unfair. See, he, he just wipes out this city. Well, that's not fair. They didn't have a chance. Whoa, whoa, whoa. For 40 years, they were talking about the Red Sea. That means for 40 years, this city was talking about these events. How much more time do any of us deserve? I think they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience, the Israelites. But could God have also, in his mercy, 
Could it not be that he was allowing all who heard, like Rahab, to believe what you hear? Look around. Think about God. Did, did all this come from nothing? Study the scriptures. Hear, but don't just hear. Hear and believe. And think about it. If the mayor of Jericho wanted to get saved, he could have believed. If the, if the guards in Jericho wanted to get saved, they could have gotten saved. Any of them had the same opportunity as Rahab. But Rahab heard, and then what? She believed. She believed who God is. For the Lord your God, he's God in the heavens above the earth beneath. He believed in what God has done. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Who is this that even wind and wave obey him? And she believed what God was about to do. Verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She puts it together. I'm just, I'm just making the point. She had simple, saving faith. She didn't have a Bible. She didn't have a pastor. She didn't have any Christian friends. Listen, you don't need to know everything in the Bible backwards and forwards before you believe. And maybe you need to place your faith and trust today in the living Lord Jesus. Well, she heard, she believed, but she didn't just believe. She demonstrated her faith. In other words, she staked her life on God. Does that make sense? This is all Rahab's rescue. She heard, she believed, and then she demonstrated. It's not just enough to say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I believe in God. She risked her life by hiding those spies. That would have been treason, right? I mean, if the king says, deliver up these spies, and you say, no, king, I'm not going to do it, and you lie, that's high treason. She could have been killed. She demonstrates her faith. Look at verses 15 through 21. Then she let the, ah, so after they make this deal, look at how she demonstrates her faith. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And now the reader figures out how the spies are gonna escape the city even though the doors are shut. So I, I guess it's really true. When God closes a door, he opens a window. You know, I always thought that was a cliche, but like there is biblical, like scriptural defense for that, I guess. Built in, let, me, let me just point this out. Make sure everybody caught it. Her house was built into the city wall. And just in case you missed it, he reiterates, so that she lived in the wall. Now, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but I'm counting on, I mean, you ever been to like vacation Bible school or did you ever hear about this? Like, where would be the one place in the city of Jericho that you would not want your house? Well, um, what happened uh, to those walls, right? Didn't they come a tumbling down? Yeah. And yet the Bible says, so apparently this wall for protection was also functional. Not only was it a mighty wall, but also was actually the structural part of domiciles. And so in the case of Rahab's, one of her rear wall, can you imagine the front door of her inn or a brothel or whatever looked out into the streets of the city, but we're told her, the rear, the, 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 the rear wall had a window and looked out into open country, maybe even to the Jordan. And so it's through the window, sneaks him out the, the back. All these walls of Jericho and they're coming down. And Rahab makes it clear she's in, she, she's got one wall of her house is literally, she lives in that place. And yet, when this judgment comes, and yet, there's a promise of salvation. Watch. She said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. No, but she knows where they're gonna head to the ford. So go to the hills and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. 
Very shrewd. She gives them perfect instructions. Um, obviously, they needed it. They're bad spies, but she helps them, coaches them up a little. Uh, then verse 17, then the men said to her, okay, we'll be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. If uh, So then they realize, wait a minute. Okay, so, so God has already given us the land. There's gonna be this military conquest. Wait a minute. How are we gonna know that Rahab is on our team? And not only that, but she said all her father's household, like, like her whole family is gonna be gathered in this place. How are we gonna know when the conquest happens that like, guys, don't touch her. Uh, uh, you know, she's, she's, she's with us. She helped us. And that's when it hit him. I got it. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. And warns them, like, listen, as long as you're in the house with that scarlet cord, scarlet, just a red cord, is right? As long as you're there, you're good. And everybody that's in there, gathered in there, is going to be safe. But if you, if you decide, I don't want to come under this covering, and I want to walk out there, if anyone goes out of the doors, verse 19, of your house, into the street, his blood will be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a but on the other hand, if a, if a hand is laid on anyone who's with you in the house, his blood will be on our head. And then he just says, and if you, and if you tell people this secret, then the deal's off. But if you, if you tell this business of ours, we'll be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. So deal, they, they have this covenant. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You better believe she did, right? Making absolutely certain that that was tied secure. I mean, she's double knotting that and wrapping it around and telling everybody, you, you, don't, you don't touch that. That scarlet cord stays there. And that, that, that marks this house as different and protected. Now, let me ask you something. Where did the spies get this idea? Where did they come up with this? Yeah, take, we need some way to mark it so that like, we need like, like if you'll mark your house in red, then when the judgment of God comes through this city, it will see your house marked in red and it will pass over your house and the judgment will continue. We need some way to mark it in red so that the judgment will pass over. Where did they get this idea? Obviously, from what they had seen in their greatest deliverance, the Passover. Just like the Israelites in Egypt, if you believed Yahweh was telling the truth, because that's what faith is, by the way. Rahab doesn't just think he's telling the truth and do, does nothing with it. She absolutely stakes her life that God is telling the truth. That's what faith is, by the way. Faith is believing God's telling the truth. And so if, if you were an ancient Israelite, you, you applied the blood of that lamb to your doorpost because that's exactly what you were told to do. You'd seen enough of the work of God to believe. Now, that wasn't a work of, of, of righteousness that saved you. That was just your faith gone public. So she hid the spies, demonstrating her faith. She hung the scarlet cord, demonstrating her faith. And she helped her family. Isn't that beautiful? She wants the whole family covered under the protection of God. And you do too, don't you? Anybody like that? It's like once you get saved, you want everybody you love and care about to come under the salvation of God, don't you? And, and you even want people you don't even know. You want them to be saved too. You want the world to hear about the covering and protection of God. And some of you, I'm touching on something right now that is one of your deepest longings of your heart. And you're praying over and over, God, will you just save? Will you save this daughter? Will you save this cousin? Will you save my husband, save my wife? Why? Because you want them brought under the covering too. And not just you. 
You want those you love to come under the covering and the blessing and the protection of God. Listen, if you're not yet a believer, and you're hearing my voice right now, or you're watching this online, if you're not yet saved, listen to me, you are living uncovered. Judgment is coming. There's no reason for you to live uncovered. Won't you believe and be saved today? Turn from sin. Trust in Christ. Come under the protection and covering of God. Well, finally, her redemption. So we've looked at her reputation. We've looked at her rescue. It's a model for how all of us are saved and rescued. And finally, her redemption. I keep saying she's a model of faith. And sure enough, she appears again at the Battle of Jericho. Can you imagine she's looking out that window and watching those Israelites? She's got that scarlet cord tied tight, and she sees those Israelites march around the first day, and she thinks that is an unusual battle plan. Whatever. She sees them march around the second day. But you know, on the seventh day, and when they... Great, have the great shout and those walls come tumbling down. Each time those soldiers pass by, don't you think they looked up and they were like, hey, there it is. See that scarlet cord? Yeah, that one's with us. That house is with us. It may look like from the outside, this is an impossible task, but what an encouragement every time they went around to know that God's got people everywhere with us. Look at what God has done. They would have the spies tell the story again. They would remind, hey, don't touch anybody in that house. See that scarlet cord? Sure enough, the walls come down somehow. Can you imagine being in the house of Rahab gathered there with that family coming under that protection and the whole back half of your house tumbles and yet you are spared? And that's not all. She unites with the people of Israel and she appears again and again and again in the pages of Scripture. Did you know that? All through the New Testament, she's held up as this hero of faith. When the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, goes through the hall of fame of faith, some people call it the hall of faith, lists all these incredible examples of faith. What, did, what, what caused Rahab's great rescue? She believed. He, Hebrews eleven twenty nine. by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Right there in the hall of faith is Rahab. And, and the writer of Hebrews doesn't shortchange Rahab the prostitute. I'm always like, that, that was a little unnecessary. Okay. Like, why would you add that? Is it unnecessary? Or is the writer of Hebrews saying, the heroes in the halls of faith are not those who had their life all put together before God found them. It's about her faith. The point is not that Rahab had her life all put together. By leaving that title in there in describing Rahab, what the writer of Hebrews is saying so clearly is, yes, she was a sinner. And you know what God does with sinners who will trust him? God saves sinners. That's what he does. God saves sinners. Now, you and I might not have put Somebody like this in the hall of faith. And in fact, Hebrews, I have to smile a little bit when he goes on to say, after he mentions Rahab, and what more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. You're like, hold up, hold up. You mean, as you're listing out the hall of faith of the Old Testament, you don't have time to talk about David, like King David? who's kind of the linchpin of the whole Old Testament story, but you got time to mention Rahab the harlot. 
And the writer of Hebrews is like, yes, that's exactly right. You know why? Because God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance of royalty, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Rahab had faith. You know what it takes to be saved? I mean, how do you access this? You access it with faith. Like uh, uh, the, the Sunday school teacher who asked a group of uh, little boys, okay, little, little guys, uh, what do you have to do to be saved? One of the boys is like, I got it. What? Sin. He's exactly right. Because that's all God saves. is sinners who will have enough self-awareness to go, hey, I'm not trusting in the walls of Jericho. I'm not trusting in my own righteousness. All I bring to the salvation equation is my sin. And I believe that he's an all-sufficient savior. That's Rahab's story. And that's why she's celebrated in Matthew. You know, it actually reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Jesus said to the Pharisees and those who were self-righteous, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. And here it is. All she had to offer was faith. And she was saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. When the, so after the book of Hebrews comes the book of James. And James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, realizes wisely people are going to misunderstand all this talk about justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone means there is nothing you can do to earn God's declaration. But some people, that that, that you are righteous in his sight, that's a declaration of God. Some people, James knew, were going to misunderstand that and think that you either, like, you either believe, and it's all up here, just a mental acknowledgement of God, or you believe in the kind of way you obey, faith and works. And he's like, people are going to get this twisted. So, so, so after Hebrews comes James, and James is looking for an illustration of how somebody was not just saved because they had head knowledge, but that it worked itself out in their life. And of all the illustrations he could have picked, he says more than head knowledge. Let me just show you in James 2. In James 2, some of you know where this is going. Someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Like those are two separate things. Y'all, your faith, I said that backwards, your works are just what you believe gone public. Your works are just your faith gone public. That's why when I preach on James, I call it faithbedience. It's one word. Faith and obedience is the same thing. He's saying these are not two separate things. Show me your faith apart from works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Oh, you believe in God? Oh, good for you. You're doing good. Yeah, even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he gives two examples. And of all the two examples he could have picked out of the whole Old Testament, one probably makes sense to us. One, (laughs) so great. Of all the examples, the heroes of faith demonstrated by what they did. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his own son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. He didn't just say, yeah, God, I believe you'll do that. I'd like to skip the whole test about Isaac. No, no, no. Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And I'll I'll give you a second example. And in the same way, everybody's like, the same way as the great knight of faith, Abraham, as he's about to sacrifice Isaac, what a great test of faith. He goes, and the second was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Rahab was considered righteous by faith. 
When James needs to illustrate that faith is demonstrated by works, he chose Rahab, who said, I don't, I don't just say I believe. She staked her life on it. Aren't you glad God uses who he wants to use? Isn't that good news to somebody in here who feels like, well, I, you know, I've messed up and I've got this whole reputation and it, it, it's worse than Rahab. Hey, man, God can still draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Can he? He uses who he wants to use. Why? Rahab demonstrated her faith in her works. Absolutely incredible. And, you know, I, you know, also James does the same thing. James, the New Testament has no problem in, in acknowledging clearly her background. That's incredible. Rahab the prostitute. All through, the, you know, the King James, the, the, the Rahab the harlot. And you read that and you go, man. But James says, declared righteous in his sight, justified by faith. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm, I'm imagining here. I'm using my imagination. You get a new heaven, new earth, and you want to you talk to some people that you read in the pages of Scripture. There's a long line to get to King David. I don't think there'll be a long line. I'm just, bear with me. And so you, you ask St. Peter, who's got sort of like the reservation booking, uh, kind of who you want to talk to. They're like, well, what about Peter? They're like, it, like, like when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining is the sun. There's still going to be, you know, okay, all right. Uh, let me see. Joshua, believe it or not, oddly, he's very hot right now. Very popular and uh, have to wait. Okay, so you say, well, what about, what about Rahab? Uh, in the New Testament, I've been reading Rahab the prostitute. Peter says, okay. See, sorry, who? Yeah, Rahab the harlot. I don't know what to say, man. We got a Rahab. But up here, she's not Rahab the harlot. Rahab the righteous. Up here, she's not known by these reputations anymore, see? From, correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if she's in the lineage of King David, if she's in royal lineage, what do you call somebody with royal lineage? She's no longer a prostitute. She's a princess, not a harlot. She's a hero. From the house of shame to the hall of fame. I'll keep going until I get some reaction. God loved her. And she believed and placed her faith and trust in him. And, and like, that, that's it. God saves sinners. Now, Brandon's going to come. But so blessed by this music today. I don't want you to miss the message that God is still in the business of redeeming and saving sinners. Let me just close with this one question. Why? Let's, let's, let's bring it right here. Why? I ask you, why did the judgment of God pass over Rahab's house? Now, you may say, well, because she hung that scarlet cord in the window. And technically, you'd be right. But let me ask you, is that red, is that scarlet cord some sort of talisman? Is that some sort of magic that wards off the judgment of God? No, of course not. We don't believe in such superstitions. Well, in Egypt, uh, I suppose, we go back to the, the blood of the lamb. And if I understand correctly, the... the the way the Passover works is this. There's a death in every house, both Egypt and Israelite, in the Passover. There's a death in every house. And the angel of death comes through, and the judgment is poured out, and there's either the death of the firstborn son, and there's going to be a death of the firstborn son in every house, except, except in some houses who had placed their faith and trust in Yahweh to save, they took a lamb. And that lamb would be killed, and the blood of that lamb would be applied 
to the doorpost of the house as if to say there's already been a death in this house. There has been a lamb that has died as a substitute for the people. And the, the, the wrath of God was propitiated. It was, it was turned away because of a substitute death. But how does that explain the scarlet cord, you know? Like even, in fact, even the blood of a little lamb can't atone for sin. But how does the scarlet cord, there was no, how, how does the judgment of death pass over? I mean, just the scarlet cord. There's not even a death of a lamb. She didn't have a lamb. She wasn't even an Israelite at this point. So, I, I mean, how can the judgment of God for wickedness poured out? I've tried to be gentle and understanding with Rahab. I don't know her background. I don't know her story in that sense. But, but it was still wickedness. So where was the death to atone for her sin? It's just a scarlet cord. Well, for the answer to that question, you yourself must do a little homework. You must pick up that scarlet cord. You'll find it in the pages of your Bible. And you'll find that scarlet cord in the very first page in Genesis. And you'll trace that scarlet cord through a perfect creation. You'll trace, you'll, you'll, that scarlet cord will then lead you to the dreadful fall of man. You'll see the blood of Abel crying out from the ground. And you take that scarlet cord and you start walking it all the way through the pages of scriptures. And you'll see that car, scarlet cord will lead you past the holy of holies as the high priest there is offering atonement. And that scarlet cord will lead you past the mercy seat. It'll lead you out of the bondage to Egypt. It'll lead you into the tabernacle and the temple. And that scarlet cord will lead you all the way through the exile to Babylon and back. It'll lead you through the prophets and you'll get all the way to Malachi and you'll think you've lost the scarlet cord. You'll think it's gone because there'll be 400 years of silence. And then you'll see that scarlet cord is picked back up in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob had Judah. And Judah had Perez. And Perez had Hezron. And Hezron had Aminadab. And Aminadab has Salmon. Salmon married Rahab. And you'll trace it all the way through Rahab. That scarlet cord will lead you all the way through King David and the monarchy and all the way to Mary. All the way. You follow that scarlet cord and it'll take you all the way finally to a hill called Calvary. And an old rugged cross. That's where that scarlet cord from Joshua 2 will ultimately lead you. And there, if you look to the cross, you'll see the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who stretched out His arms as the ultimate Passover lamb, as the ultimate protection. And as that scarlet red blood flowed down from that cross, the death of the only begotten son, the spotless lamb of God, and all who, like Rahab, will by faith place their faith and trust in Jesus to be their savior. To this day, to this very day, you come under the covering and the protection of God himself. Though all the walls around you may fall, you will be saved. Why? Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't Rahab and her scarlet cord just a pointer to the ultimate salvation in Jesus? And that's what Rahab has to say to us from the family tree of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray for anyone here who feels far from you today, if they're not yet a believer, that today would be the day of salvation. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, you would save anyone who feels lost today. They know they're lost, but they've heard the gospel. They believed on you. And they would demonstrate their faith today. And I pray for all those who are believers that today you would 
reinvigorate, rejuvenate this Christmas season, our love for you because of your uncaused love on our life. You love us because you love us. And you demonstrated that love while we were still very far off. You didn't wait for us to clean up. Thank you, oh God, that your love's not a reward. It's a resource that we need to be shaped more and more into your image. Grant that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for the invitation?